0: Hello everybody out there in Avalanche land, this is Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast. I am JJ Jerez, with me is Arif Dean, of course, it's a joyous time, it's the night before the season, right? I feel like, uh, you know, that Christmas poem, t'was the night before the season, I wish I was creative enough to write out a whole, uh, a parody version, but I'm just so giddy. I mean, Pierre, uh, Pierre-Edouard Pierre Belomare said it best today in the press conference, right? How do you think I'm doing? It's the night before the season, so Arif. I know you're excited, ecstatic. We made it through the off season. We survived, and, you know, we don't hate each other. We, we made it through a whole offseason of podcasts, and st- we're still friends. I,
1: I, I don't know how we did it, but <laughs> we made it through, and, and, you know, to get Belmar's quote properly, it was, how do you freaking think I, I, I feel? It's the night before opening night, and he was excited. He was happy. Just don't crush my dreams or his. We have hockey tomorrow, and please don't take that away from us.
0: Right. Also hilarious. The Arif, if you get another question asked and the response goes viral. We, we remember the last one was during uh, what was that before the uh, training camp and Nathan McKinnon said that that's why I went Arizona fitness series. testing every year. That was the Arizona Oh, that was that was in playoffs. Okay, okay. Yeah.
1: It was it was that's why I went fitness testing every year and now it's you crush my dreams. Yeah,
0: I mean Pierre Edward Bellomer, you, you crushed his dreams because he learned today that they're not actually playing. On Lake Tahoe, they're playing besides Lake Tahoe, which, in all honesty, I learned today as well. I didn't know that that's the way it was going. So when I was asking, you know, are they going to be able to make NHL cal- caliber ice on a pond? That's kind of, <laughs> I guess, why I was getting that wrong because I thought they were literally going to be playing yeah, on the lake.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're 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 playing on the 18th fairway, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was a great exchange. I asked uh, Pierre Edward Belmar and Andre Burakovsky, and you know what? To be honest with you, what makes these media availabilities just like the ones at phase three and during the bubble hockey, a little bit more manageable and entertaining are when they bring out the players in pairs or in triplets. Um, You know, you'll have your gaffes like somebody asking Nazem Kadri a question when there was three guys sitting there and none of them were Kadri all looking around at each other. Then there was that glorious, you know, uh, we all remember Matt Nieto, former Avalanche now sitting there with Calvert and McKinnon and, It sounded like uh, one of the chipmunks was asking the question, and it was just (laughs) cut off. And and Nieto and Calvert were like, what the hell was that? It was just like, and then it just got cut off. So there's been some fun ones, and this was another one. Uh, I asked Belmar and Burakovsky what their opinions are of the Lake Tahoe outdoor game, and Belmar went into this love-it and then he started going to this big, long thing about how it's going to be so cool that we're playing on a pond. And, and Barakovsky cut him off and was like, dude, we're, we're, we're not actually playing on the lake, not a pond, but the lake. We're, we're playing on the 18th fairway on the golf course beside the lake. And Balmar's like, wait, are you serious? And Berikovsky was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, my God. And you just crushed my dreams. And oh, my God, no way. And then he went on to answer the question, you know, anytime you can go outdoors and play hockey, it's fun or whatever. And then at the end of the presser, because that was the last question. And as soon as it finished, before they muted it, because it muted about three seconds later, Belmar off the record looked at Berkowski and went, wait, so we're really not playing on a lake? And then it muted. Like he (laughs) literally had no idea. He actually thought boards were going to get drilled into the lake uh, and and was found out right there and then that that wasn't going to be the case. And it was hilarious. Uh, If you haven't seen it, uh, look up Mile High Sports on Instagram. Uh, The video is up there. Uh, I can definitely tweet it out because why not? I know Peter Baugh, the Athletic, t- tweeted it out, and now it's kind of going viral. Hockey Night in Canada tweeted it out, Spit and Chicklets tweeted it out, so you can just find it anywhere. Just look up Pierre Edward Belmar. I don't think there's much else news going on if you look up his name.
0: Yeah, I I am embarrassed to say that I thought the same thing as him. So uh, glad that got clarified. But interesting to hear that he had never skated on a lake before. He literally said, my whole life, I've never skated on a lake. When You can drive up to Evergreen 25 minutes away and, and go right now if you wanted to. Uh, so that was funny to be, But, yeah, I like that concept of having the duo up there, right? And, you know, especially with NHL players, there's some guys that have such a great back and forth. Like it would have been great to yeah. see a Nathan McKinnon and Tyson Berry up there. Or I think a Gabe Landeskog and Miko Rantanen would probably be a gem. A- any other maybe duos the Avalanche could throw up there that would be hilarious. Or like a Gabe Landeskog, Nikita Zadorov would have been amazing Would have been
1: great. The le- the Landeskog and Rantanen was, was always the favorite for me. I think there was one where it was... McCar, mckinnon and landiskog and somebody asked about landiskog being a good captain and mckinnon and mccarr i think it was mccarr just went on this long yeah he's this and landiskog eventually just come i was like all right all right all right cut it out cut it out like it was like it's it's awesome anytime you put landiskog with anybody it's fun uh you can really get a li- real good view of what landiskog is like in the locker room uh just at a normal time with his with his teammates just off the record uh, and he's a lot of fun, and I, I miss experiencing that in the locker room because it was always entertaining to go hang out in the corner where Landeskog is sitting between McKinnon and Renton and kind of in that corner of the locker room. It was always, It was always entertaining to be there.
0: Right, definitely miss being in the locker room, but today I actually got to be in the rink watching hockey, breaking things down for myself, so it was so great. You know, the bitterness that I experienced – Last week's podcast, uh, you know, is completely gone. I have completely 180'd and I'm so excited for this season. Being back in the in the stadium, you know, it didn't really hit me until I walked in and got through the atrium doors and saw the ice and the lighting and the logos that just pop. You know, when you have those brand new yeah. logos on a fresh yeah. of ice, the logos just, just pop. So I wasn't expecting to feel so excited and feel so great. But I got there and those old feelings of, you know, it felt like the first day of training camp of years of past where you know all
1: right all right all right don't rub it in they only let one of us in and and you were the (laughs) one today relax okay we got it so what i'm gonna do today i'm gonna ask the questions and you're gonna answer the questions we're gonna kind of flip this script a little bit uh question number one because inquiring minds want to know how was the blue the blue the breezers the helmets the gloves how was that gotcha
0: gotcha honestly at first it, it looked a bit off the blue helmets didn't quite seem to match the blue breezers um, it took a little bit of getting used to, you know, especially with the white chin straps on the, on the buckets. I thought that was a bit different, but, um, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I not completely sold on it yet. I'll be honest. I don't want to, you know, I, I thought I was going to be all positive and rainbows and sparkles here, but that, that was one thing uh, I didn't right. love. So
1: one question in and you're already back to bitterness. <laughs> Great. Question number two, inquiring minds want to know there was a helmet logo and it said ball. How did that look? It was subtle.
0: I liked it. So you you couldn't really, you know, sometimes those advertisements are a bit loud and they look just like they don't match. But, you know, it's a simple white logo so it, it wasn't too crazy I, I i thought it was fine you, you barely notice it at all it, so uh, it,
1: it didn't look as bad as it didn't look as bad as red white and blue and guac from Chipotle <laughs> on the American well and New that's Jerseys. the thing
0: with the world juniors when they put their stickers on there or like europeans have, yeah. they like don't even fit the helmet right like it looks like it's peeling off right <laughs> they don't even try yeah.
1: they just like it's not even that they don't even try to blend them in they don't even try to stick yeah. them on properly it looks hilarious even the chipotle ones even the canada ones they don't they don't really mesh properly it's 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 literally world juniors we don't care it's a bunch of 17 18 19 year olds uh no but i'm just kidding those are the questions that are the least of anybody's worries right now let's talk about practice man this was the first official practice how did it go what did you like uh let's let's break down some game tape as you like to say
0: yeah i'm going to start with nathan mckinnon Who's somehow that? he he looks like he got better I'm not going to lie. Like there's there's just a, another level to his game that I saw today. Of course, no defenseman, not too much of an intense practice since it is the day before a game, but I mean his fan his hands look to have gotten faster, um, you know, and you even saw a point where Pierre Edward Bellamare pulled him aside and was like, "Show me how you're doing these shots." Like <laughs> You know, and Nathan McKinnon's breaking it down. Like, all right, first you got to put your weight on this foot, transfer it over here, then bring that stick in. And they they broke it down. And it's funny to see a veteran go to a guy like Nathan McKinnon, but that's just a testament to the leadership role that Nathan McKinnon has taken over in the past couple years.
1: I mean, it's it's crazy to think every single year that McKinnon could get better, but he absolutely could get better. And in a 56-game season, like, He's going to fire every single game like it's the first, like it's the last game. You know, those games where you actually give it your all because there's that middle lull in the season. Usually happens in January, February, which this year is going to be the exciting beginning of the season. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch him because for the first month, month and a half of the season, it's going to be that beginning excitement and then suddenly it's it's getting close to the trade deadline and then it's that month, month and a half of winding down. And suddenly we're in the playoffs. Like it's gonna be that quick. And I think that's gonna be the most exciting thing about the season is for players like McKinnon, knock on wood, as long as he stays healthy. There really isn't gonna be a time in the season where it's time to cool it down. He's gonna go hard for fifty-six games. You know, he rarely gets hurt. He did get hurt right before the pause last year. He played eighty-two the game before the year before, and then he had that Vancouver shoulder separation or something the first year he broke out in 2018 and that lasted six or seven games i believe maybe eight games so i'm really excited to see what mckinnon does with a full season we talk about it every year where he's always needed that help. He finally got a Nazem Kadri and a Burakovsky last year. Now he has a Brandon Saad. He has Nichushkin and Donskoy, are mainstays on this team. Now he has all this depth that are going to help him to the point where I don't want to use the word shelter. But, yeah, shelter. You can play McKinnon 20 minutes a night and play him offensively and know that when he's not on the ice, you have other weapons to play, to play and to use and i think all it's going to do is maximize his efficiency maximize his value and and you know 80 85 points is not out of the question for somebody who's looking to finally win his first mvp and and make it far in the playoffs
0: yeah i mean there's no question the, the guy's a machine right i mean and he takes really great care of himself and he just works on his strength you can you can just see it with when he's skating around how strong he really is and when he lets that shot go i mean a, a one on o against a goalie the goalie never stands a chance. I mean, I saw today there was a, uh, a one-on-oh with Nathan McKinnon, and it was even during the goalie drills. Grubauer honestly ha- wanted no part of the shot. He just stood there, didn't even try to save, because I don't think he can see the shot flying past him, right? So he just stood there, let it go past him, and then kept going about the drill, slid across the ice. So, so, that, so when you that, say that shot one on, just looks more potent.
1: One-on-oh against the goalie, you mean McKinnon is shooting on Grubauer, not the other way around, right? Right, right. Not all right cool just time. want to make sure it's been it's been like 10 months since i've watched hockey at Ballerina, which used to be called something else so i just want to make sure i still know how this right hockey
0: right works. grubauer is actually the goaltender and he's probably going to be the starting goaltender so we'll, we'll get more into oh, that into oh, yeah. those guys later cool. later but we've got three of them to all talk right. about so
1: yeah we'll, we'll talk about how quick until he gets injured too
0: another thing i noticed today and of course like i said it was it wasn't very intense practice and i think a lot of it had more to do about structure than you know really trying hard today. Um, but the the white line, which is right now the second line with Landis Sod, Saad, and Kadri, didn't seem to be clicking the way you want them to be just yet. I still think they've got some chemistry to figure out there. I mean, Landis not exactly used to playing with either of those guys. So um, I'm a little bit nervous to see how that looks heading into game one here.
1: You know, I I mean, I obviously wasn't there to see it uh, I don't know how training camp went. None of us did because none of us saw it. But but to say that is usually could be alarming. But at the same time, this is not the year to worry. Because if it doesn't work and it takes some time for it to finally get going, then you just flip around a couple things. You bring somebody up, you bring somebody else down. Uh, simple as that. Uh, if Landeskog needs to go back on the top line and Burakovsky needs to go back and play with Kadri, that's cool. If Brandon Side's not gelling right away and you got a flip-flop Nechushkin inside or Donskoy inside, you can do that. There's just a lot of weapons. There's players on the fourth line this year that I would be completely okay with playing with Kadri, and that's Calvert. Well, Calvert, not really Joe's. But you know, there's there's a lot of movement that could be had. And and let's not you know let's let's not forget that Brandon Saad missed the first three days of on ice skating, so he only skated I believe this was his third day. Uh, Landeskog is coming off of an injury from last year, so it's probably going to take him a little bit of time. You know, just just give him some time to gel, and you know, just like phase three training camp, if Burakovsky and Landeskog need to flip. Edner won't be afraid to do that. In fact, I guarantee you at some point tomorrow, even if the Avalanche run away with that game or if the Avalanche are trailing by a lot of goals or if it's a close game, at some point tomorrow, we will see a Landis, Gog, McKinnon Ranton in line at even strength. It's bound to happen. It's just there's no reason not to at least give those guys a couple shifts together.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it feels like the Avs have a lot of eggs in the Brandon sod basket, right? A lot of hopes for him here. So, uh, you know, you would hate to see him be a disappointment. But again, it's still way too early to, to even think that that's the direction he's going. You really want to see him work out, though, because I think he really is going to be an X factor for this team, right? If he brings it, has a great year that's really going to push this team and propel him to be one of the greatest. And if he struggles, well, you know, then you, you got some mediocrity to work through. So I think he's, uh, he's somebody to really watch here heading into the se- season.
1: And, yeah, and, I mean, this is what I'm talking about with the depth of the avalanche. If any of these guys fall behind, there's plenty of players that are going to be able to play those roles. Uh, I think one of the best things about the avalanche team this season is knowing that there is a difference between the top six and the bottom six. And that's not to say the bottom six are not players that can play in your top six when needed. So last year, there was always that one forward that was missing. It was Donskoy playing in the top six, often sometimes Nechushkin. Tyson Jose is actually the one that started with Kadri. And then when the Avalanche went out and made a deadline acquisition, they brought in another guy who was you know, kind of a second, third liner. You don't really know which line he belongs on in Vladislav Nemesnikov. Now with Brandon Saad, you will actually have somebody who's a clear-cut top six winger. No questions asked. But if need be, if push comes to shove, there is guys on the bottom six. And again, I'm going to mention Matt Calvert again. He's a guy that was scoring at a 40-point clip last year and had dealt with a lot of injuries. Um, and if you haven't read the story, check it out on the denverpost.com from Mike Chambers about Calvert and his approach to the season to try to mitigate the injuries that he's been dealing with over the last few seasons because he has admittedly mentioned that he's of no good use to this team if he keeps getting hurt. Uh, he's missed Game 7 against the Stars and the Sharks the last two years, but he's a player that could be of value in that top six role if the Avalanche need to play it, if the Avalanche need to give somebody a day off, if the Avalanche don't have the chemistry that they that they want in that top six. So again, I'm going to say it. I, I just think that this team is so stacked with forwards Uh, that the depth issues, the chemistry issues that we may have had in the past, they're not going to be as big a deal this year.
0: Yeah, I hear you. They're not going to be quite the hurdle that they were before. Um, I guess another thing I wanted to quickly touch on, on the forward group that I noticed, and this is speculation. I'm not, you know, 100% on this, but to me it looks like, and tell me if you agree with some of the pictures and press conferences that you've seen, Burakovsky and Donskoy Both look to me like they've slimmed down a bit. Now, I don't know if maybe, you know, the avalanche said, hey, lose a a little bit of pounds. Let's work on getting you guys faster so you can keep up with the pace of play of this team. But um, if that's the case, you know, that'd be awesome to see just uh, those two guys get a little bit quicker.
1: Yeah, I noticed it with Burakovsky. I, I will admit I haven't really – I didn't really look into it with Donskoy. But with Burakovsky, I did notice it. And, you know, let's face it. Burakovsky is the type of player that if he's not scoring goals, he's not of value to your team. The thing is he scored a lot of goals last year. And then in the playoffs, he was over a point-per-game player. But on days where he takes the night off were the days that Bednar quickly took him off of that top line because unlike Landeskog, Burakovsky not going to bring much – much else to that line. So today when I asked him about playing with Nathan McKinnon, he had an interesting quote and it really stuck out to me because he said, playing with Nate, you have to be at the top of your game every game. And then this is the part he says, that's something that everybody expects from me. And that stuck out to me because I think he knows that he needs to be at the top of his game every single game. And he knows that You know, if he's ever a passenger, he's just going to lose a spot in the lineup. It's kind of that Phil Kessel thing, that Phil Kessel conversation where he's one of the best goal scorers in the NHL. But as soon as his scoring diminishes, hell, it's the same talk we have about Ovechkin. As soon as his goal scoring diminishes, what else does he bring to the team? So Burakovsky, I think, is probably feeling a little bit of that. And let's face it, he took a two-year prove-it deal. He didn't sign that long-term deal. He's looking to make big money with the Avalanche or elsewhere. And it starts with this season in the first year of that new deal.
0: Well, and you got to think he, he'd he like to stay, right? He wants to earn his spot, yeah. but not only that, stay here because there's a lot of potential here. Um, so you'd, you'd hate to see him go anywhere else after, you know, the potential that he has with Nathan McKinnon and the chemistry. And if he could just maximize it and – meet his expectations every single game man that's going to be such a beautiful thing to watch between those two I love the way they play together and,
1: and that's the kind of thing that's the thing about Burakovsky I, I said this a few times last year when he was on the second line but if the Avalanche do play him on that top line it's even more so that to me Andre Burakovsky has the ability to be this generation of the Avalanche's version of Milan Hejdúk. Stick him on a line. Let him score a bunch of goals from the wing. Put him on the power play. Let him score a bunch of goals. And then at the end of Hayduk's career, you saw what happened. As soon as he wasn't scoring anymore, he was on the fourth line playing with friggin' Cody McLeod and Jay McClement, And then the very next year, Patrick Waugh came in, brought back Alex Tengay, and did not bring back Milan Hayduk. And that says all you need to know about you know where Hayduk's game was at that point. Uh, coincidentally enough, I know guys like you and Mike skate with Hayduk uh, hey all the time, and he still looks like he can play in the NHL, which is crazy to me. But... That's what Burakovsky looks like to me. He looks like the kind of guy that he can score 30, 35. And Hedouk had that you know, streak of scoring 20, 25 goals every single season with the Avs. That's what Burakovsky can be for this team. Uh, he just has to take less nights off than he did last year, which – even saying that, I'm kind of nitpicking at him because he had a hell of a year last year.
0: Well, and when that line's buzzing, I mean, they're almost impossible to stop because you see the def- the defensive group kind of get focused on, okay, Andre Burakovsky and Nathan McKinnon are ripping us apart. Well, you forget who's on the opposite side. That's Miko Rantanen. and yeah. he's just as dangerous, right? So, you know, if they can get going, then you got Miko. Creating some open space and a lot of potential, or Nathan McKinnon and Miko going, you got Andre Burakovsky wide open on the other side. So uh, yeah, that line buzzing is is just so and dangerous. That's,
1: and that's what I like about Burakovsky on that line over Landeskog is when you look at McKinnon, again. Let's go back to the Heyduk thing. Who's the center that Heyduk played with a lot? It was obviously Peter Forsberg during those o two o three years when he when he won the Rocket Richard Trophy with fifty goal season. Peter Forsberg is not the centerman that you need to go and play physical game for. Forsberg can handle himself. Forsberg can take care of it himself, and Nathan McKinnon has that same feel. He's able to do that shiver with the shoulder and you know knock players on their ass while controlling the puck, which is phenomenal to me that the Avalanche have another guy like that. So with your Andre Burakovsky, you don't need to go into the corners and do all the dirty work the way Landeskog does. All you need to do is let McKinnon and Rantanen do their thing, disappear a little bit, get open, wait for the pass, and you know, use that beautiful shot that you have because Burakovsky does have a hell of a shot. Every goal he scores is a nice goal. And that's the crazy thing about him. There's no such a thing as a dirty goal in the crease. You know, Ryan O'Reilly working his ass off. Matt Duchesne down there digging at the puck or Nathan McKinnon or whoever it could be. Nazem Kadri literally scoring buzzer beaters from the blue paint. It's, it's a beautiful shot every time. And when you're playing with McKinnon and Rantanen, and all you have to do is disappear and get open and you'll score a lot of goals like that
0: absolutely so high expectations from the mile high hockey podcast Mile High hockey hockey mountain high podcast why can't i get that name right we've had that name for like six months and i still i don't know I still I, at least that
1: was closer than avalanche talk
0: <laughs> uh well next thing i want to get into is the power play uh both pp1 and pp2 because uh i think there's uh, unique fa- things about each of them to to look into power play one first of all looks sharp um not a surprise considering the weapons that they have on it, right? Kale McCarr, kadri Landis Cog, Ranton, and McKinnon. Um, but they, they just seem to uh, have taken it to another level. I mean, they were kind of embarrassing the uh, p- penalty kill that was up against them, and especially Hunter Misca, who was trying to, to go up against them. I mean, at one point he <laughs> just threw Hunter his he threw his arms up in the air and said, I, I can't do anything against these guys. They're too of good. Not.
1: And yeah, so so the power, the top power play unit, kind of struggled a little bit last year. Well, the power play as a whole struggled last year, uh, but we talked about this a lot. There is a lot that goes into being a top power play quarterback, and what Kale McCarr had to do last year, given the fact that he scored nearly a point per game in over fifty games, was already impressive enough as it is. But what Kale McCarr had to learn last year was not an easy task, and it wasn't something that you know he he was basically thrown to the wolves especially with the chemistry Tyson Berry had on that on that unit and how great he was in his last two seasons in Denver and running that top power play so for Kyle McCarr, with one season under his belt it's going to be a little bit easier for him to run that top pp unit with Kadri in front finally for a full season, hopefully Kadri doesn't get hurt as much as he did last year so that that chemistry can continue to have Landeskog, McKinnon, renton It's just a lot of weapons. There's no reason why this PP can't be as good as the one Edmonton had last year, which operated at some mind-blowing 35%, I think it was, and now they have Tyson Berry. So the Avalanche top power play unit has a lot of potential, and I, I fully expect them to be more like the 2019 version than they were the 2020 version. Uh, like a lot of things, the 2020 version of it sucked compared to what was before. So uh, we're going to hope for that next step from that power play unit. When I talked to Jared Bedner today and asked him about the power plays, uh, he mentioned something that we all know. But it's something that he does with his PP units is he said – I give the top guys about a minute and a half. It's not a minute-minute split like other coaches like to do. He said, I like to give the top unit a minute and a half, which sort of segues us into the second unit. And this was the reason why I asked him about the power play because this was interesting to me. And this is a very underrated part of the Devon Taves acquisition. It's the fact that Devon Taves ran the power play in New York with the Islanders. And now he will be playing alongside Sam Girard as a two-defenseman unit on the same power play, which is something that over the last five years has become nearly non-existent in the NHL. But now Devon Taves and Sam Girard are both going to be on that second unit with a whole bunch of forwards, you name it, whether it's Donskoi, Ko- Don Nichushkin, Comfer, Saad, the only guy on there that was always on there every single time as far as I'm concerned from practice today, per Jared Bednar and the eyes of JJ Jerez, was Andre Burakovsky. So it's it's great for the avalanche to have that because now when you run into an injury, when you run into a night off for Makar, you're not putting an aging Eric Johnson on the power play. You have Devon Taves and Sam Gerard. And if Makar so- starts to struggle, you can flip a Taves with him or you can flip Gerard with him. You suddenly have these three weapons that can run their own power play unit. But because of this wealth of riches, you have two of them on the same unit.
0: I remember back during the Dallas series when the avalanche went down early on in the series, you and I kind of discussed how the power play was looking predictable. Um, and it looks like at the, that the book was out on how to stop the avalanche power play. Well, there's, there's a couple tweaks that I noticed, and that's one of them. I mean, what better way to be unpredictable than have your two power play units playing completely different structures, right? I mean, having one defenseman on power play one, then shifting over to having two on power play two, which is brilliant to have the two on power play two because if they are there, by the time the penalty expires, you still got two defensemen on the ice to get back into the normal swing of a five-on-five, right? So um, I like the adjustment. The other adjustment I noticed was Nathan McKinnon. I think last year we saw him post up in that OV spot, right? And he would just sit there and wait for the puck and wait for the puck. It looks like they're getting him a little bit more active this year on that spot. Rather, you know, because I think defenses were expecting it defenses were waiting for that one timer and eventually knew how to stop it as best as they could so he's going to be moving a, li- a lot more you're going to see him and Kadri kind of interchanging spots and Kadri Qad- kind of ends up on that left side sometimes while McKinnon's flying all over the place so two really good tweaks to the power play I think and just a way to be less predictable and more c- chaotic because that's what you want for those uh, penalty kills is, uh, you know, for the penalty killers to get chaos in their mind and, and lose their, their coverage.
1: And again, you have a lot more weapons this year. You do have an extra brand inside. You do have an extra Devon Taves. There's guys you can bring in and out of that top unit when they struggle, and it doesn't even need to be you know in segments of, let's practice and then try it out the next game. It's in a game, if the McKinnon unit goes over for 2, over for 3, well, you know what? Let's insert somebody new onto that unit and see what can happen. One of my favorite things that, that Nathan McKinnon started to do on the power play at times last year, which I wish he would do more of, and I think he will do more of this year, is when he would sort of disappear into the back and then kind of start to play the point. And then he would do that thing that he did a lot of last year, which looked like an accident, but suddenly you realize that it was a skill. He would take a wrist shot from the blue line and it would somehow, someway, find its way through everybody and into the back of the net. He did it a bunch of times last year. So to see him sort of get away from the circle, to see Kadri get away from the crease and sort of come in between the hash marks and McKinnon's at the top kind of with McCar inching over to the half wall, there's a lot of skill on this power play, and there's no reason why they can't continue to have that movement just to keep everybody guessing. So to have McKinnon set up for the one-timer every single time, I mean, When I think of a McKinnon one-timer or a in one-timer, I think of that circle-to-circle pass through the defenseman for a one-timer goal. But to me, as stupid as it sounds, that is so 2019 because in 2020, it didn't work. People started to finally figure it out. So it's nice to see that they're going to sort of change it up a little bit and keep teams guessing.
0: Yeah, just got to keep it simple at points too because I did see a lot of overthinking, especially from the second power play unit. Namely, Andre Burakovsky. I think he's overthinking a lot of things and, uh, you know, just got to react, not not spend so much time just trying to trying to please coach. But, you know, like you said at the top, um, he's got that little bit of added pressure to really please coach Bednar this year to make sure he's uh, performing and staying on that top line. Right.
1: Yeah. And and there there's there's plenty of guys. Like I said, there's going to be plenty of guys breathing down his neck. So if he doesn't have a good game, it's not going to take much for for Bednar to flip in and bring in another forward to that top unit. You know, Gone are the days where it's Carl Soderbergh, Tyson Jost. Hell, the only reason why JT Comfort is probably going to see time on the second unit is because Saad, Burakovsky, and Nachushkin and Donskoy don't take faceoffs. So even someone like a JT Comfort, in terms of offensive skill, is not in the top six of forwards on this team that deserve power play time. So there's there's always going to be that competition, and that's what I like about this team. It's the same way on the blue line when we talk about the defensemen, uh, not just penalty kill power play but five on five there's always going to be someone breathing down your neck and that's what brings out the best in a team
0: and then for the penalty kill you know I don't think there's really too much to know about that um you know I think it's just is what it is I mean the penalty kill is always a a tough thing to do you're going to get scored on here and there so it's hard to be perfect but is there anything that stood out to you or anything of note from the press conferences regarding the penalty kill
1: yeah so to me the biggest thing was with the with the absence or not the absence but you know with uh with Matt Nieto now gone and with Nikita Zadorov now gone I was just kind of curious of who the top guys were and Bednar kind of went into it with his forwards in saying that and this is something we saw after the trade deadline last year the Avalanche were slowly trying to transform Tyson Josh into a penalty killer and he did a pretty damn good job. You know, when when Nemesnikov was acquired, I thought Joseph was going to be the 13th forward. And he did everything in his power to remain in that lineup, and it worked. Uh, injuries helped, obviously, with him staying in the lineup. But he played a, an effective game as a fourth liner and as a penalty killer. So... You know, Bednar kind of uh, talked about that today and said that his top three penalty killers will be Belmar, Calvert, and Jost. They're not all going to be on the ice together with one defenseman, but those are his top three go-to forwards. And then Donskoy, Komfer, Nichushkin, and Saad will play a more secondary role. So he's gonna he's gonna use a lot of forwards. So that means the only guys that you're not gonna see on the penalty kill are the top three of McKinnon, Ranton, and Landeskog, plus Kadri and Burakovsky. The other seven forwards from the main 12 will all be playing on the PK, and if Logan O'Connor makes his way into the lineup, which he will, he'll likely see a lot of PK time as well. Uh, so I was just really in- interested because Matt Nieto has been on this team for a long time, and he was a mainstay there. So that's kind of the bi- the biggest takeaway I got from the PK unit.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's those fringe players that you like to throw on the penalty kill, right? I mean, the guys that have to go out there and prove it. They need to do the things that they're asked to to stay in the NHL. Those are the guys you like to throw in there because they do it well and they do it with a big bag of knuckles, as I like to say. And I think that's what we've seen from Tyson Joe's game. Like you mentioned, he, he handled it well because suddenly we saw a transition of, okay, maybe I'm not so much the skill player. Maybe I need to turn uh, my grinding level up uh, a couple notches. So um, I love it. I love it. But that transition does transitions us nicely into the defensive group. Um I don't think there's too much to to point out. I mean, obviously we love seeing Devon Taves. Kael McCarr is not a secret anymore, but Sam Gerrard stood out to me as showing uh, an extra level of play so far. I think, Opposite of Donskoy and Burakovsky, he bulked up a bit. Yeah, he looks yes. kind of a he looks more like a meatball. He's up out to there.
1: 145 pounds now. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to. He's like five foot nothing. It's an easy joke.
0: No worries. And then you know, I also saw him getting pretty vocal out there today, which I think he's pretty quiet guy and isn't. That's not necessarily his strength. So to hear him getting loud and. And kind of being the leader on the power on the second power play unit, I think we're going to see strides of Sam Girard, which is needed because you and I have been talking during this off season. Is Sam Girard the expendable defenseman here if you have to move someone? you know down the road whether it's this and, year and suddenly two
1: he doesn't want to be that person and i mm-hmm. think so there's an added confidence to sam gerard and i noticed this during his uh, media availability on sunday uh first of all he's got that long flowy hair now uh it's still about a quarter of the length of what ryan graves has but it's uh it's it's a good looking it's a good looking uh, mop on his head and at the same time he just seemed a lot more confident and and comfortable talking and being more vocal. I think a lot of it comes with being better at the English language because obviously Gerard is is, is a French-Canadian. But he just seems like he's evolving into that leadership role, and we forget he's friggin' 22 years old. Like when the Avalanche acquired him, he was 19. He was the age Bowen Byram is now, and he's jumped right into the lineup and played right with Eric Johnson. He was on the top unit for those games in Sweden three years ago. Well, now three and a half years ago. So Sam Gerard wants to take that next step, and I think the th- most fascinating part about that is, is he had the most time on ice per game average last year from all the Avalanche skaters. Forwards and defensemen, Girard had the most ice time, and he didn't miss a game either. So he literally did have the most ice time on the Avs last year and he's ready to take the next step. Now suddenly you have Sam Gerard playing with a young Connor Timmins without Eric Johnson in the lineup, which we'll talk about right now is you know, simple as this, he's still unfit to play, it's still something that could be COVID related, who the hell knows, but Eric Johnson will not be available tomorrow, and like in the playoffs when Johnson was out, Connor Timmins got to play with Sam Gerard. And suddenly Sam Gerard is that grizzled vet taking the young guy under his wing. He's less than a year older than Connor Timmins.
0: Yeah, I mean, I love seeing that pairing together because that right there was the f- the future of Avalanche defensemen for a while, right? I mean, we would kind of been waiting for Timmins to make that jump into a mainstay in the NHL, and Sam Girard, you know, has been growing right in front of our eyes. So to have them paired together, you know, it's fun. It's what the defense have been working on for several years, and you're seeing it come to fruition. However, that leaves us with Ryan Graves and Ian Cole. That was the defensive pairing from hell, yes. hell that we were kind of scared about all off season.
1: Yeah, so that pairing, I'm not going to pretend I've seen what they look like together because obviously I was not there today because someone And else... I'm not
0: going to pretend like <laughs> they did good things today.
1: Yeah, so the reality with that pairing is when Eric Johnson comes back, uh, suddenly you have an extra man. When Bowen Byram joins the team, which, by the way, Bowen Byram, per Bedner will join the team Saturday on the ice. Uh, so that'll be after the first two games against St. Louis, the first homestand uh, miniseries you're going to have Bowen Byram, you're going to have Eric Johnson, and then when you add on top of that to Ian Cole, you have eight very, very capable defensemen. Now, if you remember, I mentioned something, and I'm not by any means discounting Ian Cole or Ryan Graves right away, but suddenly that's the pairing that could use some work. And if you remember last podcast when we recorded, my hot take, if that's what you want to call it, with air quotes, was that by the end of the season, you're going to see Byram and Johnson as a pairing, and you're going to see Gerard playing with... uh, with Graves or maybe even Connor Timmins, Number eight in Elliott Friedman's 31 Thoughts podcast, uh, 31 Thoughts blog, I should say, today was Bowen Byram's quick learning curve means rumblings that Colorado could move a defenseman. I've seen some rumors about Ian Cole, but I'm not convinced he's won. He's built for the meaner postseason. I agree with both of those things. Bowen Byram's quick learning curve does mean that Ian Cole might not be a top six defenseman on this team by season's end. I just don't see a reason for the Avalanche to trade Cole. You're not going to get anything more than a fourth rounder for him. We don't need a fourth round pick. The Avalanche need to win a cup. To have that depth is going to be huge. Uh, So I I think it's great that someone like Dennis Gilbert is going to be your ninth best defenseman on this team. And last year, I would have taken Dennis Gilbert over Connaughton and Barbario, which were your 7-8, and eight, the first guy you bring into the lineup. So there's just a lot of depth. Gone are the days of the Anton Lindholms and the Cali Rosens and the guys that you just, you just know you're intrigued by, but you don't know what they're going to be. Now you suddenly have eight very willing defensemen. And Dennis Gilbert, who, to be honest with you, to me, is also a willing defenseman.
0: Yeah, I think Dennis Gilbert is 100% the most likely to be moved, but we look at Ryan Graves, and his stock has never been higher. I mean, he had a great year, especially in terms of plus-minus last year, and even you said a couple times, we don't know if that was just a flash in the pan or if that's who Ryan Graves really is. Did we just get a really miraculous year out of him for one season, skating next to Kale McCarr? Can he replicate it uh, next to other defensemen, or You know, is he maybe somebody they think about selling high?
1: Yeah, we'll see. We'll see is all I could say. Ryan Graves, to me, uh, again, assuming like we've beaten this horse dead into the ground over this very long, painful offseason that Eric Johnson will likely waive his no-trade clause for the expansion draft. Ryan Graves, to me, is the prime candidate between him and Giannis Donskoy is the two that could get taken in the expansion draft. Maybe you trade Ryan Graves for something. Maybe Donskoy ends up going – and now suddenly you have a spot opened up for both Timmons and for Byram. Like I tweeted today to one of our one of my followers, I said that Bowen Byram's quick learning curve is the reason why I believe Ian Cole will not get re-signed. And Connor Timmons' production and Connor Timmons' value and, and his growth is the reason why I believe losing Ryan Graves in the expansion draft is not going to hurt this team. So there's suddenly a lot of defensemen and and there's still more coming. Drew Hellison just won a gold medal. He'll be ready at some point. So suddenly the Avalanche have all these guys and it's a good problem to have for once.
0: Right. Absolutely. And, you know, there might be a time during the season that they got to bring in another goaltender, right? Because let's look at the goaltending group right now. We're talking about some expendable defense because that might have to be the move that Joe Sackick makes next is bringing in a third goalie because Grubauer, France they look they look good. They look fine. They look ready to go. It's a uh, Hunter Miska. I can't really hang my hat on just yet. I don't think he's got what it takes to be a, an NHL goalie. I mean, he he's super happy to be there and you love seeing him, you know, chatted up with Fran Susan Grubauer every chance he gets, but, um, I'm not sure he's, uh, he can hang. He just as simple as that.
1: So the reason why Hunter Miska to me is going to be the taxi squad goalie whenever the Avalanche do eventually announce this, which should probably come tonight, the official taxi squad roster, is because the Avs would like Adam Werner to be playing games. I know the AHL is still three weeks away, but they would much rather Hunter Miska sitting in that role of not playing than Adam Werner. And that says to me that they believe more in Adam Werner, rightfully so, for having an NHL future than somebody like Hunter Miska. But yeah, this is a question I've been sort of beating into the ground for the past week. I wrote about it. I talked about the avalanche, you know, needing to bring in a third goalie. I asked Joe Sackick about it. I asked Jared Bednar about it. It's been my hot topic of discussion because an injury to a goalie can happen in the flat, you know, the blink of an eye. Like we saw at the outdoor game last year in February when Ian Cole ran into Grubauer. These injuries happen like we saw in the playoffs with both goalies. Suddenly, you're down to Hunter Miska. You're down to... Uh, adam werner and and to me you cannot have those guys enter your team's games at any point this season if you want to win the cup that's just the reality none of them are ready for that position so if you're the avalanche phoenix copley was on waivers today he's a decent veteran goalie they didn't take, they didn't take a stab at him our old friend michael hutchinson was available they didn't take a stab at him rightfully so uh you know maybe at some point toronto will put aaron Dell on waivers to send him to the taxi squad maybe that's the guy you take a stab at or maybe you make a trade. There's going to be goalies available available at some point. Uh, but Joe Sackick, in my opinion, this is still a topic for me that for whatever reason I've been chasing it for the last two weeks is the Avs need one more goalie. And it's not because I don't trust Grubauer and Fran Suess. I am on the boat, and we talked about this all summer. When we talked about Corey Crawford, who obviously just announced his retirement. When we talked about Henrik Lundqvist, who obviously is not playing this year either, coincidentally. When we talked about Holtby and, and, and Marc-Andre Fleury. It was never because Grubauer and Fran can't do it. Yeah, we did have some questions about Fran and the way he played when he took over the crease, but it was always because the Avs have two goalies that both got injured and Michael Hutchinson was your weapon of choice. That cannot happen again.
0: It's insurance, and especially when you've seen how fragile both Grubauer and Fran can be. You know, I would like to think that Joe Sackick's mindset here is like, oh, wow, we had such bad luck last year. We had such bad luck uh, in years past with Varlamov's injuries that we get we have to shore up something But maybe, big. But
1: maybe spend a little more on the insurance this year. Maybe not mm-hmm. a Michael Hutchinson. That's what I mean. Maybe, Yeah, maybe an Aaron Dell. Maybe a goalie yeah. who you know is an NHL-quality goalie. I hate to mention his name again, a Jimmy Howard. Someone who you know could be... An NHL goalie rather than someone like Michael Hutchinson who's a fringe goalie or someone like Adam Werner who you know has had a great shutout and then got lit up by Connor McDavid who put up six points on him in like a period and a half or Hunter Misca who nobody knew who he was until you know two months before the pause
0: it's just interesting to me to kind of see how much disbelief there is in Philip Grubauer I mean he had just a a little window of, of struggle there and, and mainly because of injury. But, you know, for example, I did my fantasy hockey draft tonight and Pavel Fransuz was actually ranked higher than Philip Gr- Grubauer. So the amount of shade and disrespect I think Philip Grubauer gets is a little bit much, but, um, you know, I think... The, there's reason to, to to proceed with caution when it comes to the goaltenders.
1: Yeah, and, and the big thing for me with Philip Grubauer is he tends to start his season slow. In the two years he's been with the Avs, he started slow the first year. Varlamov kind of took the reins, and then Grubauer took over in March. April was exceptional, you know, destroyed the Calgary Flames and gave the Sharks everything he had. Last year was a little bit of the same thing. While Grubauer was hovering around that 905-908 save percentage, France was up over the 920s. But Grubauer suddenly found his legs, and then he got injured in that outdoor game. But that was as he was starting to get really hot. Against the Coyotes, he held his own. Granted, it wasn't much of a competition. And then he only had, what, a period and a half against Dallas. And yes, the Avalanche let in three goals in his time. But he had about a period and a half before he got pulled and then injured. and, And he just never really had much of a shot. But this is a goalie that is capable of winning. And I know when the Capitals won the Cup, he started the first two games against Columbus in the first round he lost both games and then Holtby took over and won the cup. Maybe that's what you need. Maybe you need to start Grubauer for two games and then put in Fransoos, but you know, all jokes aside, Grubauer is a willing and capable goaltender. It's just the health. It's the Varlamov thing. It's the health. If he's healthy, he can do this.
0: Yep, absolutely. So, you know, we touched on all facets of the team from training camp today, but of course, before training camp, we heard from Super Joe himself. He had a little press conference. So, um, anything to look at the press conference from Joe Sackick today besides just this guy's undoubted confidence in his team?
1: Uh, the the takeaways that I took away and, you know, we had our Joe Sackick press conference a little bit before 9 o'clock in the morning Mountain Standard Time and nothing like waking up to, to, to Joe Sackick. Uh, that's how I started my day. And for starters, he talked a lot about Pierre Lacroix. He talked a lot about learning from Pierre in terms of how to be a GM and keeping things close to the vest was something that he said twice during the media availability. Uh, The other big takeaway that I had from it was the Avalanche. And again, this is something that goes back into the question of the third goalie is he talked a lot about how the Avalanche have a lot of depth this year and how that's necessary in a season where you have a taxi squad, where you need to play the guys on your taxi squad, where you have an accelerated and compacted schedule where you're going to need depth. Gone are the days of the Cody McLeods, the uh, Gabriel Borks, the Brad Malones. You suddenly have 13, 14, 15 forwards deep of guys that are willing and able uh, you have a young Shane Bowers, who's a first-round draft pick. A young Martin Cout, who's a former first-round draft pick. You have Logan O'Connor, who's a willing NHLer. You have Kiefer Sherwood, who they're very high on. So suddenly you have all these options, and that was kind of my biggest takeaway: was that he believes in the team's depth. Uh, this team has a lot, uh, a lot coming even though they're a cup contender right now. And I think the biggest takeaway was the question for me about Gabe Landeskog's contract extension, where he said that he's confident and Landeskog is confident that both of them want to end their career, want Landeskog to end his career in Colorado. And if that means negotiating during the season or after the season, they are confident it will get done. And I know that worries a lot of people because we just saw what happened with Alex Petrangelo but St. Louis kind of had the writing on the wall with Petrangelo earlier in the season that year in 2019-20, which was a year and a half ago now, because they went out and traded for Justin Falk and gave him a $6.5 million deal before the season even began. The Avalanche have not done that with Landeskog. He's still a top-six winger on this team. He's still the captain. He's the leader. He's the voice. He's been here for so long. Uh, the biggest takeaway from me today is that don't fret if Landeskog's contract goes into the summer it's going to be okay.
0: Well, and that's what's weird is for the last several years we were so comfortable with the Avalanche cap situation and now there is a little bit of fretting to be had because, you know, there there there's a I don't want to quite say a pickle just yet, but they're close to a pickle, you know. You got Saad in the mix, Landeskog, Makar, Grubauer, so um, they're gonna have to get creative and and just not quite be as comfortable as we've seen them in years past, and as fans especially.
1: The reason why I'm not too worried about it is because the Avalanche have a luxury right now that not a lot of the other contenders have, and that's depth players making big money. Matt Calvert's on the fourth line making 2.875 million. Pierre Edward Belmar's on the fourth line making 1.9. Million. Ian Cole's on the third pair making 4.1. Million is on the third line making 3.9. These are all contracts—well, except for the Donskoy one that expire this summer. These are all contracts that, like we saw, you can replace with a far cheaper option in free agency. So when don't Valerie forget me- the
0: expansion, too. So.
1: Exactly, yeah. So that's the thing. You might lose Orion Grace to the expansion draft or Giannis Donskoy to an expansion draft. But, you know, if the Avalanche needed another defenseman, which they don't because of Timmins and Byram kind of elevating their status, if they did— Travis Hamanick just signed for $1.25 million. So you can take a $4.1 million Ian Cole, replace him with a better defenseman who makes $2.75 million less. That $2.75 goes toward Makar or goes toward Landeskog's extension. There is a lot of moving parts on this team, a lot of expiring deals. Brandon Saad is a $5 million player. You don't want to bring him back? Great. Let's put in Alex Newhook at $900,000. You just save $4.1 million. There's a lot of things on this team that are going to give the Avalanche a lot of flexibility, and that's a luxury to have. This isn't Toronto where your whole third or fourth line is making 700 $1 one5 $1.5K. The Avalanche have a lot of money tied up to their depth forwards, and when the big guys are ready to make their pay, you can take that money from the depth forwards, put it into the bigger players, and replace the depth forwards with a cheaper option in a flat-cap world where Matt Calvert making $2.8 million on the fourth line that's no longer going to be an option. That's no longer going to be something that happens. We saw Matt Nieto sign for league minimum. That's something that at the beginning of the 1920 season we never thought would happen.
0: Yeah, things should work themselves out, definitely. Not yeah. worried about it. Funny, I saw a post, you know, now that we kinda, we're kind of we kind of wrapping up here, I saw a post before the show on Instagram talking about the uh, the Paul brothers, Logan and Ryan, I think, right? That's their name?
1: Logan and or yeah. Matt. I, I, Logan? I don't think it's Ryan. It's Logan and...
0: Anyway, th- those I hate brothers that. I hate that combined this, yeah. make more money than Nathan McKinnon and Mikko Rantanen. How sad is that? Isn't that a bummer? And, and,
1: well, welcome to the
0: NHL. <laughs> it also makes me think with the Paul brothers um, and how Evander Kane was trying to fight one of them recently. Oh, boy. Now we kind of got a better idea of why he was so motivated to try to land that fight, right?
1: Yeah, he apparently needed money. He apparently might terminate his contract. He apparently might sit out the year. There's a whole lot of something going on there, and I'm just glad it's not an avalanche player. That's all I have to say on that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, before we get in on a negative note, let's keep it positive. I mean, we have 116 days consecutive of NHL games on television, so it's here. Tis the season, Arif. I know we just got through Christmas season, but this is the real season.
1: Logan and Jake Paul, just just, uh, Uh, so nobody tears us
0: apart who cares i don't care if somebody tears me apart because i they don't make know more than our top line YouTubers.
1: center but but yeah so the, the idiot youtubers are logan and jake paul but yes this is the season back to hockey this is the season we're gonna have hockey every single night from now until june or july and that's with a big asterisk because we're still living in a pandemic and who the hell knows what's gonna happen but i'm excited for it i know you are literally in 24 hours from now i'm gonna be sitting at ball arena Somewhere in the middle of the first intermission, uh probably eating M M&M- and M. Are there going to be snacks?
0: There's I zero there chance. Snacks. No, no way.
1: They did say they did say there's no more media meal, which is a bummer because I missed a salad bar on Cronky's dime. But I I did see that they're going to have some sort of snacks available for us. God, I I ate a lot of M and M's last year. I I hope we get those back. Gummy I'm, bears I'm, are I'm, what get me. The gummy, the gummy bears. bears. You know what? You know what I hated was being in that press box. Since you know Since people are listening, I'll, I'll go into this. Every single time it was an intermission last year and I would get up and go get some snacks and I eat relatively healthy. I love to run. I love to work out. I meal prep. I do the whole hullabaloo until I get to the Pepsi Center and it was still called the Pepsi Center last year. And I see the popcorn and I see the the trail mix and the M&Ms and the gummy bears and I say, fuck it. And I go in and I have the snacks and every single time and I hated this because the one person I used to talk to about fitness in that press box was John Mitchell. And we'd always talk about fitness and working out and how much are you squatting and how much are your deadlifts? He was my gym buddy, because you know, I'm not talking to Mike Chambers or 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 Mark Mosier or any of these guys. It was it wasn't Adrian Dater. It wasn't it wasn't any of these guys, it was John Mitchell. But every freaking time during a commercial break or a com- or or an intermission, I would go up to go get a refill on MMs or Gummy Bears or whatever. There would always be one person standing there, and he would always give me that look like why are you eating more junk food? And I'm just like it's always him, and it was always John Mitchell looking at me, and I'm just like, I swear to God, I eat healthy. I swear to God, I work out, but every time I go to grab some M and M's, he was there. So I'm glad I don't have to deal with that this year. I'm going to have my M and M's without Mitchell watching my every move. <laughs> so that that was the fun for me from last season.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be different, but uh, you know we're going to be there, and it's it's going to be nice to have one of us in the building to cover it, whether it's practice, games, morning skates, because yep. uh, you know I just feel like fans and i definitely felt the difference in the coverage today right having everybody present and having everybody's opinions and different observations it was just it felt like it used to be um so you know now i'm finally back to being regularly amped for the season i
1: i was i was ready to run through a wall just from seeing your picture of the ball arena and center ice and the and the colorado avalanche logo they had obviously covering the, the the lower ball and I was so pumped for it. I'm excited for tomorrow. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. It's Tomorrow is going to be 308 days from that game against the Rangers until tomorrow, and what a 308 days it's been. This country, this world, we are exhausted. We are tired. Hockey's here. Enjoy the hell out of it, man. We all love this sport, and I'm so excited and so pumped to cover it again.
0: Right, and a programming note just so everybody knows what to kind of expect, to, uh, expect from us moving forward. Um, You know, obviously, since the schedule is kind of broken down into a bunch of two-game series, we'd ideally like to come and record for you after each two-game series, kind of recap it, preview the next one, Uh, but we'll see how the schedule kind of uh, plays out and allows us to do that, but we'll be here for you all year. We got the next seven months, so no looking back. Hockey Mountain High, nailed it, is here to stay, and uh, we're we're, uh, excited to get this season and and talk to you guys throughout the year.
1: Yeah. So tell your friends, tell your friends, friends, tell what was it? They said the last time, tell your friends, moms, tell your mom's friends. (laughs) Uh, You know, we're, we're going to be doing this, you know, after every single set of games, the next time you will hear from us is going to be the evening after the game on Friday. So we're not going to recap tomorrow's game until the second game against the blues. So we'll talk to you when the avalanche are two and oh, McKinnon's got seven points. Uh, one of the goalies are probably hurt. Someone else has COVID. There's going to be a lot of things happening by then. Um, But before we wrap up, did you have anything else before I jump into this? Okay, before we wrap up, I have an impromptu game show for you. And this is something that I've been putting together. And, you know, this is unplanned and JJ doesn't know about this. But this is something I've been putting together watching training camp rosters and and roster cuts over the last week. I have one, two, three, four, five, six former Avalanche players. And they're not big names, but they're six former Avalanche players. And I need you to tell me what organization they are a part of now oh god oh god yes this is it's it's hilarious some of these you're 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 gonna be a little mind blown so let's start with an easy one nick holden vegas bingo one for one here's a little bit of an easier
0: one carl soderberg just moved to chicago because of kirby Doc's broken wrist
1: yes that's second line center carl soderberg to you by the way behind ryan strome All right, here's where it gets a little bit tougher but still kind of easy. Hey, Andrew I'm already, Hammond.
0: I, I already did better than I thought I would. so.
1: Uh, I started you easy. House that was money easy, from here. That was a gimme. That was a gimme. <laughs> Andrew Hammond, the goaltender from, from a few years ago, the Hamburglar.
0: Oh, man, I, I think he was in the AHL last I saw, right? Didn't he go back to Belleville? Where is he now? I, I don't know that one.
1: You got to give me a guess, man.
0: I did. AHL in Belleville.
1: Okay, so Belleville, that would be the Ottawa organization, and bat you're incorrect. He is with the Minnesota Wilds organization.
0: Oh shoot, I knew that. I did All know right, that. So Man, I should have just wild. taken a second to think about it. I mean, it's been so long. You know, I was sitting next to A.J. Hafley today during the training camp and there was a part where him and I were having a hard time even remember some of these guys' numbers. It's been yeah. so long. So I know, it's <sighs> it's been it's been a little while. Let's get let's shake off this dust here. Let's, cool. Let's, so you're I'm two bored.
1: and one through three. Uh, I think you're going to go one and two through these next three if you get this next one right. Let's stay with the goalies. Calvin Pickard.
0: Well, he just got waived by Detroit, didn't he? he but sure wasn't did. claimed, so he's still in the Detroit system. And
1: one, correct. Now here's where it gets fun. These are the last two. These are the two are the reason why I built this game show. If you get even one of these right, you deserve a cookie. Defenseman traded for Ryan Graves.
0: Chris, Chris Bigra, Go. Well, of course, he was traded for Ryan Graves and went to the New York Rangers, played in the AHL there, but that seems like too easy of an answer. That's the low-hanging fruit. But considering I didn't keep or up maybe. with Chris Begra's career from there, I got to just throw out a random guess, and I'm going to say Ugh, Columbus?
1: The Philadelphia Flyers. Oh. Bah, you are 3-2. and two. This one's even more yeah. fun. As Patrick Wall likes to say, Andrew Aguzino. And that would be Andrew <laughs> Aguzino.
0: Man, there was some funny ones that he would say. I remember yeah. Rantanen. I'll never forget <laughs> Um Andrew Aguzino, man. Ah, definitely
1: Never pronounced the H, Nick Olden. Uh, yeah.
0: I'm going to go with, shoot, I, I just have no idea. So another blind guess here, St. Louis.
1: Uh, kind of close, kind of not anaheim ducks so you went three for three you got the three gimmies which were calvin pickard carl Soderberg, and nick holden and i only added those in there because i didn't want to give you bigra Agazino, and hammond without the easy ones because we finally got a cheerful <laughs> jj and i didn't want to grumpy him back up
0: well i'm so glad that was a kind of that I'm was a little glad minigame. i met expectations i didn't go yeah, above was, i didn't go yeah. below
1: Five hundred, and it wasn't even a hockey five hundred. There was no overtime losses in there. It was a true five hundred. Uh, but that was a little game show I've put together this past week because I'll see the Anaheim Ducks roster report, and I'm like, Andrew Ego, what the f- is this guy still doing in the NHL? And then <laughs> Philadelphia is making cuts, and I saw Chris Begren, I was mind blown by that. By that, Calvin Pickard, obviously I knew he was in Detroit, but seeing his name again after you know three hundred and eight days off was like what? And then uh, Andrew Hammond signing with Minnesota, something that happened a year ago. I just didn't know he was still there, nor did I know he was still around. I thought he was, you know, at this point running a McDonald's somewhere with with the Hamburglar. Uh, But apparently he's still with Minnesota. So good job. Uh, Three for three. That was a lot of fun and a little exciting. So maybe I'll do that again in the future.
0: So much fun. Don't catch me too off guard. I hate that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I could tell how uncomfortable you were right when I said impromptu game show. You're like,
0: wait a second. This is
1: my show. Who the hell is this guy? Well, you know what? Today you got to attend practice and I had to sit my ass at home because you were there. So we did a little flipperoo and I got to throw an impromptu game show at you.
0: Yeah, one thing I really learned today too is I can't wait to get back on the ice. I was so jealous. It looked like they were having so much fun skating around and just playing hockey. I can't wait to get back to it. Got an email today saying that men's league are are not starting anytime soon. Oh, so. that's a bummer. Yeah,
1: I, I you know, I, I, I gotta, I gotta say, I i'm not very good at hockey but i have all the equipment uh, just ask our our mutual friend justin and he'll tell you how terrible i look on the ice but when i went back to detroit somewhere during these 308 days i brought my equipment and my hockey sticks back and they're all sitting in the trunk of my truck and i haven't touched them haven't worn them haven't used them in about four years if you ever want true entertainment it's not the impromptu game show i just gave you it's Invite me out to come skate with you, not for a beer league game or anything because I'll make a total ass of myself, but just to be on the ice and get a video of that, it is is not a pretty sight.
0: Well, that's the beauty of hockey is there's literally a league for everyone, no matter what skill level, no matter how much experience you have, there's a league for you, and you can easily join it and just be one of the guys. So don't let that stop you from pursuing your dreams of scoring a men's league goal one day because – you can do it. Hockey is for everyone. And, um, you know, I think men's leagues is a testament to that, but yeah, other than that, it's time to enjoy the season, right? So let's get to bed here and and enjoy the one one last sleep we've got. You're probably listening to this on game day. So enjoy the game tonight. St. Louis blues, not exactly an easy test, but the avalanche got to come out of the gate flying plus 700 to win the cup plus 300 to win the division. I kind of like both of those.
1: Both of those are very easy, very easy bets to take. Uh, I'm excited for this. I will post many, many pictures of because I'm nerding out the new jersey combinations with the blue shorts and the blue breezers. Uh, I'm excited to see that opening face-off between likely Nathan McKinnon and Ryan O'Reilly wearing a C on his jersey for the Blues. is going to be pretty cool.
0: As first reported ha- right here on Hockey Mountain High. <laughs> Two months, Several before, months, it months before it happened. I'm still,
1: I'm still waiting for the Red Wings to announce Dylan Larkin as their captain so we can say that you— Basically confirmed that looks like about nine months ago now when you said that Dylan Larkin's the captain of the Red Wings. And I'm like, no, he's not.
0: When so did you say that? I didn't
1: say that. That was the first one you did before the O'Reilly thing.
0: I did not say Dylan Larkin's the captain of the Red Wings. I, I got to go back into the archives You're making and pull it out. Because I'm
1: pretty sure that was a thing that happened. No. Uh, once I find it, I'll put it on Twitter so that people can, can – can realize that this bickering is not for nothing. You're getting so.
0: delusional. We gotta wrap up here before you. Maybe lose that it, is Ryan, what it is. It's nine thirty
1: on a Tuesday <laughs> night. Hockey is in less than twenty four hours. I am pumped. I know you are pumped. Please close this thing out because, like you always say, if you made it this far, bless your hearts.
0: Yes, sir. And hockey's for everyone. And we out here. Enjoy the season, guys. <laughs>